It is good to see everybody who has made it here this morning and so thankful for the presence. And I pray that what I have to say this morning is, number one, in align with God's teaching to us. And number two, beneficial to the congregation here. I had a couple people come up before services to me and jokingly say, I'm out of here based on the title of the lesson. And another one asking if I had a list and I do not have a list. I do not have anybody specifically in mind or anything like that. This is a heavy subject that we're going to talk about today, and I made the mistake of looking at my heart rate before I got up here, and it's at a calm 120 beats per minute, so I pray that I can get through this without any uh, issues. But being that, you know, we were kind of laughing about this topic before of hidden sin, before services... This is a very serious subject that we all need to be examining our lives about. I want us to consider it uh, to what could be a big hindrance to us individually and as a congregation uh, experiencing the kind of life that we want to experience in God's, uh, that God intends for us to. It may be a big hindrance in, uh, to us experience the kind of church that God wants us to experience, the kind of togetherness but God's word is so encouraging so I'm not going to leave us this morning without an encouraging word we're going to look at uh, close at Joshua chapter 7 where God shows the children of Israel and us some uh, consequences for a specific specific type of sin and that is hidden sin and if we want to experience the fullness of God's power his presence and his blessing we must be serious and honest to ourselves about hidden sin. And another way to state this point is that hidden sin may be the biggest hindrance to experience God's blessings in your life, in my life, and God's blessings in the church as a whole. Hidden sin may keep what we all want in our lives from happening. And I hope to show that in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, leading up to Joshua chapter 7, uh, the first six chapters... Uh, for Joshua, everything's going really, really good for the children of Israel. The book opens with uh, the people of God on the brink of the promised land, and Joshua has been installed as Moses' successor. God gives powerful promises to Joshua in chapter 1. And by chapter 3, the people of God have miraculously crossed the Jordan River. In chapter 6, they experience their first victory in the Battle of Jericho. And if we look at the very last verse... Of Joshua chapter 6, the Bible says, The Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was all in the land. And then when we get to the first verse, the first uh, uh, verse of chapter 7, the first word there is but. And that's what we're going to pick up. We're going to read the entire chapter of Joshua, so I want to make sure that we're following along closely. We're going to read that before we get into uh, anything else. Starting in verse 1, Joshua 7. But the children of Israel had committed, uh, let me start again. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth Haven, on the east side of Bethel. And spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. 
So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from uh, the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as ship. Shebarmi, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell up to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. O oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel return, turns its back before the, its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your mind, midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to, his, to families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come to by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites, and he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils of beautiful a beautiful Babylon garment, 200 shekels of silver, silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them, and I took them. And, they are, and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua, and to, the, and to all the children of Israel, and laid out, laid out before the Lord God. 
Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and the sons of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. So some pretty intense stuff in that chapter just happened. And for us to understand what's happened, we're going to go back to Joshua chapter 6, uh, verse 18 and 19, uh, where it says there, and this is God's instructions, and you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And the picture... This picture here of the accursed things uh, is used 27 times in the book of Joshua. It's in reference to silver and gold and bronze and iron in the promised land that the people had devoted to the worship of idols. And God said, these things, when you conquer these cities, you're going to take these things and you're going to use them and put them in the treasury for the, temp- for the uh, temple. Do not take these things and use them for personal gain because they were uh, worshipped to false gods before. And God was extremely serious about this to his people, displaying uh, his glory as they went into the land full of false gods. And when we get to Joshua uh, 6, uh, verse 24, it says there, uh, we think the people had actually done all that God had said, but when we look at the 24th verse of chapter 6, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels and bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But when we get to Joshua uh, 7 verse 1, we find out that one man named Achan had kept some of these accursed things or these devoted things. One man had taken something forbidden, forbidden by God and hid it. One man. And it's described in Joshua chapter 7 verse 20 through 21. He saw the beauty of a robe and the money, and he wanted it. He coveted it, and he took it. And he was hiding it. And this is the pattern that we really kind of see throughout Scripture as we read it. The the story of sin, how sin happens. It's the very sin, first sin we saw in Genesis chapter 3. When Eve saw the fruit, she desired it, and she acted on it, and she ate of it. The sin we read about later uh, uh, involving King David, he saw Bathsheba, another man's wife. He desired her and he took her. It's a pattern that sin that we see in our lives today as well. We see something, we desire it, and we take it and we act. And we do it often. And sometimes we do it when we think nobody's watching and nobody knows about it. So everything's good, right? As long as nobody knows about it. But I want us to look what happens in, in Joshua 7, verse 11 says, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. In the original 
Hebrew Old Testament language, this is kind of like a slow buildup uh, to a climax of sin. It, it describes a kind of a multi-level, multi-faceted uh, um, levels of sin against God. It starts with a general description of sin. They have sin. Then it describes how they have tra- transgressed against uh, God's covenant. And the term used here is the same term used in other places in the Bible where it uh, describes adultery. They have broken their marriage covenant with God. They have taken the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. And they have tried to cover it up. And there's a word here uh, in the Old Testament. The word also here uh, is, is uh, put in here in the first uh, part of this verse. But for some reason, they decided to omit this word later on in the verse where, where it actually should read. Um, it literally says, they sinned. They have also transgressed my covenant. They have also taken some of the devoted things. They have also stolen. They have also lied. And they have also put them among their own belongings. All they can did was take a robe, a little bit of money, and a little bit of silver, a little bit of gold, and God said, you have violated my wishes, my commands. You have stolen, you have lied, and you have tried to cover it up. And in this story, we must see this seriousness of hidden sin. And when I use the, the term hidden sin, I want to be clear. Uh, I'm referring, of course, to sin that has not been confessed to the Lord God in any of our lives. I'm not talking about sins that we have confessed and made right and been forgiven of. I'm talking about sins that we have not confessed to God. It's sin that we actually try to ignore in our lives. We're talking about sin that nobody else knows about. Sin that has not been, we have not been honest to God about or with others. And this can be very dangerous because... We can so easily convince ourselves sometimes that it's not really that big of a deal when it actually is a huge deal. God's lesson from this passage is saying the effects of sin, of hidden sin, are serious. God is telling us that hidden sin harms us and hidden sin also harms the people around us. Hidden sin harms us And that reality couldn't be any clearer as we see how Achan's life uh, was taken as directed by God at the end of chapter 7. And I don't want us to be deceived into thinking that hidden sin is not harming and will not harm us. Because it will. And it harms the people around us as well. Think about the story. How many people took uh, of the devoted things or the accursed things? One man, Achan. And as a result of his sin, the entire Israel army was defeated at Ai, and 36 people had lost their lives. Not one man had died in the Battle of Jericho, and that big, massive, walled city, but 36 men died at Ai in a very small city. And if we look at Joshua chapter uh, 7, verse 1 again, where, it's, where he started, it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the cursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Not just Achan, but the entire uh, children of Israel. In verse 11 and 12 of this chapter, this is describing their sin. And it says, Israel has sinned. 
And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have, put, and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. So Israel has sinned. And look how many times it mentions they. It says here, they have transgressed my covenant. And it also says, they, and they have also put it among their own. Uh, and they have become doomed. Neither will I with, be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed thing. And this word here, you, that is plural. That is not singular. That is talking about the entire children of Israel camp. So we can ask ourselves, well, is this really about one person's sin or is it about um, people's sins? And I think with this story, we cannot separate it. It's about both. We can't divide the two. And your sin and my sin always affects other people, whether we think about it or not, whether we would like to deny that or not. And we see that in Scripture in 2 Samuel 21 as a result of one sin in Saul's life, the people of God experienced a famine for three years. One sin, three years of famine. In Samuel 2, uh, 2 Samuel 24, one sin in David's life leads to the death of thousands of people. And here in Joshua 7, 36 people die. And God's judgment comes upon the entire nation because of one man's sin. And I want us to see that picture. I want us to understand that. Hidden sin in Achan's life affected people he didn't even know around him, as well as people he knew very closely. The three times that Achan is described here in this passage, um, at the beginning of chapter 7 when he's confronted with sin, and then when he dies, and, and uh, uh, all three times it lists his family, his relatives. And Achan is really tied to his family this entire time through this chapter. And at the end of this passage or this chapter, it's not just Achan who loses his life. It's his entire family. And Achan's sin affected his entire family. I think about my family and Lizzie. I love Lizzie so much. And I love my family so much. My favorite time is to be with them, regardless of what we're doing. If we're having family dinner around the table, if it's watching... Uh, uh, Emma ride her horse or Lizzie and I on a date. My favorite time is to be with them. And I, I desire and I long for them to experience the blessings that God can have upon us all. And I do not want to be a hindrance to that. I do not want to be the cause for them to not to experience God's blessings in their life. I only want to pass on good to them. I don't want to pass on my consequences of sin. I don't want to pull uh, my wife or kids into the effects of sin with me. And I don't want them to suffer because of my sin, if I hide sin. And it's undeniable in Scripture. Uh, men, husbands, and fathers, and even if you're not a husband or father, just if you're a man, it is a lie that your sin only affects you. It, your sin affects everybody around you that you come in contact with. And not just men, women and children and, and singles and spouses and parents, that hidden sin that no one else knows about is not as hidden as you think. 
It affects people we don't even know. It affects people who are closest to us. Don't think we can hide it under the ground in a tent like Achan did. We desperately need God to help us from that mindset that it only affects us when we sin. It's not true. Men, what sin is hidden in your life? Uncover it. If not for your sake, for your family's sake. Women, what sin are you hiding in your life? Uncover it. Not for your sake, maybe for those that are around you or your family. And just think, what if your sin that you are hiding and holding on to right now is not just keeping you from experiencing God's blessing, but it holds others back around you that you may not even be aware of? This is especially true in the case of fathers and husbands in a family leadership role. We need to be very honest with ourselves. And that's the picture that we're seeing here, which leads us to our next point. Hidden sin harms us and the people around us. And it also forfeits the blessing of God's presence. And this is the contrast between everything we've looked at in the book of Joshua up to this point in Joshua 7. The theme of Joshua's life and leadership was uh, uh, the presence of God with him. He had the presence of God all the way up to this point. And listen to these verses. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 23, and this is when Moses was passing on the leadership to Joshua. It says there, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. Joshua 1, verse 5. At the very beginning of this book of Joshua, No matter, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God is with you wherever you go. He said, I am with you. In uh, verse 17 of chapter 1, Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will, we will obey you. Only may the Lord God be with you as he was with Moses. Joshua 3, 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Joshua 6, 27, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. But then when we get to Joshua 7, verse 12, it says here, Neither will I be with you anymore. And that's because of Achan's hidden sin. God is showing judgment upon sin here in chapter 7. He's saying you will not experience the blessing of my presence as long as you're hiding sin in your midst. And this is evident in the very beginning of the chapter. We can see when Joshua sent his army to Ai. Joshua didn't even pray before God to be with him during that Instead, he assumed that God's presence would be there. But the blessing of God's presence was not with them, and they were defeated. And it wasn't because the uh, army of Ai was so great. They ended up defeating him, if we read into chapter 8 anyway. But it was because uh, the difference between 7 and 8 was basically God's presence with the Israelites during that time. That was the difference. And I want us to see that picture in this story, we can try all day long to do this or that in our lives, in our families, as a church, 
But God will be saying, look at your life. Look at what's going on in your life. Stop playing games with God. We can't assume that God is with us all the time when we are sinning and uh, not trusting on Him and confessing everything to Him. It's entirely possible for us to miss out on the blessing of God because of hidden sin. Hidden sin forfeits the blessing of God's presence, and hidden sin also dishonors the glory of God's name. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the worth of God or who God is, because nothing can take away from the worth of God. Nothing can take away from His name. The thing I'm talking about here is basically the reputation of God. He is The way He is seen in the world, His glory, His fame, and His honor. Joshua knew what was at stake here. We want to look at uh, uh, Joshua's prayer here in verse 9. It says, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? And Joshua knew here that the people, that God's fame and glory was at stake. He knew that God's name was wrapped up in the work that Joshua did. He knew he did all that stuff because of God. But the problem here is if God's people go into the promised land and take things that are devoted to the worship of false gods and hold on to them, then they'll jeopardize God's reputation in the promised land. God didn't save them from Egypt to then worship idols. Joshua knew what was at stake. As soon as Joshua realized what had happened, he knew it was serious and he knew he needed to get it taken care of. And I want us to realize if we understand what's at stake when we have hidden sin. We've talked about in the past, uh, previous lessons, how there's a tendency now for somebody to pray a prayer or just go to church every time that they meet or be baptized and call themselves Christians. But yet their lives show something completely different than that. They're living for all kinds of idols in the world, for money, possessions, success, and all the praise and when, when that happens, we need to realize what we're telling the world. We're, telling, we're showing the world a cheapened uh, picture of what Christianity is. We're showing that God really doesn't change our lives. And that's what I'm talking about, the reputation of God. Christianity is a joke to many of people in our culture because uh, of those who call themselves Christians but show very little evidence of love for Christ over and above the idols of this world. We must uncover hidden sin because God's glory and His fame and His name are intended to be on display in our lives before the world. So we want God's name to be honored in our lives and our families. We also want our lives to proclaim the glory of God to those around us. Hidden sin dishonors the glory of God's name and hidden sin will inevitably be revealed in God's judgment. We must be honest with each other and with ourselves. We cannot hide our sin before a holy God. It cannot be done. It is impossible to be done. Hidden sin will be revealed in God's judgment, and His judgment will be just, and it will be serious. And the passage is pretty disturbing if we look at it. 
You know, one guy keeps a robe, some silver, some gold, and his whole family loses their life because of that. In addition, 36 other men lose their lives as well. Kind of seems, you know, at first studying this, a little extreme if we think about it. We find ourselves asking that question when we look at some other stories uh, in Scripture. Back in Genesis 19, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were completely destroyed. And all, of Lot's, uh, all, all Lot's wife does is she just simply looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt, loses her life immediately. Leviticus 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, offered unauthorized fire one time before the Lord, and all of a sudden fire comes out of the presence of God and consumes both of them. Their father Aaron is stunned into silence, and the penalty for careless worship is death. Numbers 15, a guy is caught, up, caught picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and all of a sudden he finds himself dead just for picking up sticks. And it's not just we find in the Old, Old Testament. Acts 5, which is uh, really kind of one of the scariest stories to me in the Bible. Ananias and Sapphira lie during offering time in the church, and they both fall dead. We read these stories, and we immediately think, isn't God kind of overdoing it? Isn't this a little severe for, what's, for what the crime was? And that may be a valid question. Because it leads us to understanding the picture in Joshua 7. We, can't, we think of this kind of punishment as severe or even unjust or maybe even not right. Because we have a man-centered way of thinking. Man-centered perspective of sin. If people lie to us or disobey us or speak against us, would we say that they are worthy of death? Of course not. But that is the key. The key is not how serious we think the sin is. The key is the one who we have sinned against. God is infinitely holy and infinitely honorable. And as a result of one sin against Him, it is infinite offense, an infinite dishonor deserving of infinite punishment. If you sin against a rock, we're not very guilty. If we sin against a person, we're guilty. If we sin against an infinite God, we are infinitely guilty. And that is what God said in Genesis 3. If you eat of this fruit, you just eat it, then you'll surely die. And we tend to look at that through man-centered eyes and think that is really extreme. And we need to be careful when we think that way. Very, very careful when we have that thought. Because what we're doing is we're pointing the finger to question God's justice. Slandering the very character of God. As if you or I are more just than He is. And that means we have assailed the judge of all the earth. When we have no clue what sin is. Psalms 99.4 says God is just and he loves justice. The question is. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. And that means that your hidden sin will be revealed. And the judgment of God upon your sin is coming and it will be brought to light. And the question that we will bring it to light, will we bring it to light now? will God bring it to light later? Listen to this quote from John Piper. To be caught in secret sin is a horrible thing. There is only one thing worse, to not be caught. And that is a powerful quote. That is a powerful thought when you think about it. The only one thing worse than being caught in secret sin 
is to be continuing in secret sin until it's too late. Hidden sin will inevitably be revealed in God's judgment. And that leads us to the last point I want us to see here, and this is what makes the gospel so beautiful. Hidden sin could ultimately be erased by God's mercy. God is just and God is merciful, and he is wanting us to bring everything that we got to him, to lay it all upon him. Think about the book of Joshua. This is a story of the Israelites going into the promised land. They were a sinful people, absolutely. And this is a story about the Israelites. Uh, uh, they were constantly complaining and grumbling and sinning to the point where they actually turned back to go away from the promised land at one point. And an entire generation had died and wandering in the wilderness. Even the leader Moses, who had led them in so many good ways, died because of his sin against God in Numbers 20. And Moses handed off the leadership of God, uh, of God's people to another man who just so happened to be named Joshua. And the name of Joshua, uh, translated in, in the Old Testament, means uh, the Lord saves, or the Lord is my salvation. It's pretty interesting and amazing that even in the na very name of the book of Joshua, God is telling the Israelites, God saves. God is our salvation. God is your salvation. God will save you for sin. And when we get into the New Testament, uh, the way that Joshua's name is, is uh, translated when we get into the New, New Testament uh, is actually Jesus. And what does the name of Jesus mean? Talking about Mary in Matthew 1, verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. Joshua 7 is ultimately teaching us today that hidden sin is serious, but Jesus saves. And that is excellent news. That is great news. God has made a way for you and I to be forgiven of that sin. God had sent Jesus to pay the price for that sin. We don't have to die in our sin because Jesus has died on the cross for that sin. Jesus has taken that judgment that you and I deserve upon himself. And when we confess that sin, when we bring that sin into the open before a holy God of the universe, we ask for forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross, it's erased. It's gone. Like it never happened. There are consequences, of course, that we may have to deal with in the future, but to God, it's like that sin never happened. We don't have to live with that guilt anymore. God wants us to walk away understanding and knowing that Jesus came for us for our sins. In the words of Romans 8, verses 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we confess our sin, when we, when we trust in God and trust in Jesus, the holy God of the universe, he says, you're not guilty anymore of that sin. So the picture that I want to show, make sure we get it all, hidden sin harms us and others. It forfeits the blessing of God's presence. It brings dishonor to the glory of God's name. It will inevitably be revealed in God's judgment, and it can ultimately be erased by God's mercy. And how is that possible? Through Jesus. He died for all of us, for our sins. He made the way to fulfill God's uh, promise 
and that we may have God's presence and his blessings. Jesus was perfect in every way, yet died for all of our sins. Truly amazing story. Truly amazing that God put all of this together that we can read in the Old Testament and it points to one man in the New Testament, and that's Jesus. Doesn't happen by accident. That's my lesson. Hope you have been edified by it and encouraged by it, but also understand the seriousness of it and what we need to do about sin that we have not confessed in our lives today. I ask you to please believe in God's word, repent of the past sins, be confessed in the name, uh, confess the name of Jesus as the Son of God, and be baptized. And if you have done that, um, you need to look at your and we look at our lives honestly. If there's something that we need to take care of publicly or just needs the prayers of the congregation. We ask you please come while we stand and while we sing. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.